from the cupping room at World Cup Coffee and Tea, Northwest 18th and Gleason in Portland, Oregon. Here's another OMN Coffee Shop conversation. I'm Tom D'Antoni. In the coffee shop with me is the singular Tony Starlight, who gave up his nightclub a couple of years ago and now is the proprietor of Tony Starlight's showroom. What's the difference? Keep listening. What will he bring us today? One never knows. He's multi-talented, multifaceted, and can put you on the floor in laughter or teach hard lessons about the music business. I can only assume we'll have a big dose of both. He's Neil Diamond, Frank Sinatra. He's generations of entertainers. Let's meet all of them. Here comes Tony Starlight. Tony, welcome to the Cupping Room here at World Cup Coffee and Tea, our home for coffee shop conversation. Thank you, Tom. You're a lovely host. Uh, yes, I yes. love the robe and slippers. You look great. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a little overkill with the pipe, but I mean, I you know, you are a man about town. Of leisure. <laughs> a man of leisure. <laughs> of wealth and fame. A man about the living room. <laughs> oh, man. Well, last time I saw you, you were telling jokes at the, on the stage at the Aladdin Theater. That's fun. That's an honor every year, the Oregon Music Hall of Fame, to be able to get out there and write jokes every year for, you know, just try to come up with new uh-huh. new things. And, and, and I, luckily, I save all the scripts because I'll, I'll, I'll go back and I'll go, which jokes have I already told, you know, which, which <laughs> haven't, because I try to come up with new stuff every year and it, it's it's a fun writing exercise for me but then the, just the event twofold one to raise money for music scholarships but then also to take the people that make music around Oregon and say thank you you, know? you mean you wouldn't use a joke you used before come on I use it in my shows over and over and over that's sort of no. what I do <laughs> I've been what rec- everybody does I've been recycling long before it was cool <laughs> I've been uh, reappropriating other people's material for a a very long time. What's your oldest joke that you still use? Well, (laughs) the oldest one that I still use um, is... I, the other day, I pulled it out of just nowhere. Well, I think I pulled it out at the Oregon Music Hall of Fame because I needed to fill some time. <laughs> and it was... So the, so the premise is that when I was young, you had Louis Armstrong uh-huh. singing, uh, you know, uh, Davy, Davy Crockett. <laughs> you know, he's singing Disney. He's, he had a children's album. And so he's a man. He's in his late 60s. <laughs> not on the cutting edge of jazz pop music anymore so I'm going to do kids music so this was a joke from 20 years ago I'd say well the same thing's going to happen so I want you to imagine all these grunge artists are going to be making children's albums and what might that be like and so I had the Stone Temple Pilots doing green eggs and ham and Sam I am I want to eat eggs with you I will not eat them with the box. I will not eat them with the fox. I will not eat them here or there. I will not eat them anyway. You get the idea. So that's probably the oldest one I have. But I had this old calendar. I don't know if you remember back in the days when people had a physical calendar. Oh, yeah. We made the Tony Starlight calendar. So I had Uh 12 
comedic pictures. Uh-huh. Me and the band would pose uh-huh. in various things, fake album covers, um, parodies of like, you know, the Janet Jackson with the hands over the yes. boobs. Cl- yes. You know, I had my drummer behind <laughs> me with his hands over my bare chest. So, and it was, you know, when we couldn't afford to do it in color, by the way, so it was all yeah. black and white and we were printing everything, having a spiral bound at Kinko's. But it was a page, of, I wrote a joke for each day or like a celebrity birthday or so, so I had to write about 120 jokes for the whole year wow. and then the other things were you know like uh, Neil Diamond's birthday or people that you know yeah. that, that I, I like but I, I was reading through it and I thought boy times have changed because I could not get away with a third of these jokes um, because of just how sensitive everyone is like I, I, I had one that cracked me up and said what do you call a Mexican baby in the womb. Yes. A fajitas. <laughs> See? Now that's wonderful and it's funny and we'll all have a laugh. But if I, I do that on stage today, there will be some anointed person who's offended, not because they're Mexican, but because somebody <laughs> that is Mexican can't speak for themselves and that they need to come uh, protect them. And so I kind of when I was young and playing the other clubs I just didn't care yeah. but now I work with so many nonprofits. I work with so many yeah, yeah. MC events it's just I don't want the Tony Starlight's a racist uh, right <laughs> handle um, when I had I I, uh, I read at a, at a dive bar mm-hmm. with some music musicians backing me up and and, I, and you know I had a book book out about 10 years ago. I used to write for one of the supermarket tabloids. I don't know if you know that. I do know that. Yes. And, That's why I respect you and, so highly. And, <laughs> and so I figured, hey, let's see. I wrote these jokes in 1986. Let's see if they still work, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm standing with the book, and I decided to read the first chapter, which was Grandma Turns Pet Dog Inside Out Looking for Lost Lottery Ticket. <laughs> And, and I'm getting laughs, right? I'm getting laughs. However, the little voice inside of me while I'm reading this, the little voice inside of me go, is going, Jesus, I forgot how fucked up this was. <laughs> it was really fucked up. Yeah. Really, really, really fucked up. Like she's on the roof waving the liver and shit, you know what I mean? So, oh, you know. <laughs> yeah, because last night we were doing a, a show, a Valentine's Day show, and I was talking about just bad Valentine's Day songs. Somebody in my band goes, Run, Joey, run. You know, there's a love song. Do you remember that one? Daddy, please don't. Yeah. It wasn't his fault. It means. You just think about how different the culture is. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's a yeah. pop song that is basically about, you know, the young girl is pregnant, apparently, yeah. by the young man, uh-huh. and her dad's coming with a gun. Yes. She jumps in between them, and she gets shot by the angry father, and, um, you know, her dying words are, Daddy, please don't. It wasn't his fault. But, I mean... Happy Valentine's that Day. Kind of a, that was just kind of the facts of life. Yeah. You know, somebody's going to die. Right. You know, bad, bad Leroy Brown. Yeah. Somebody dies. Yeah. Uh, the... Uh, uh, don't mess around with with Slim because Jim's dead. Yes, you know. <laughs> um, there's, we just have such a different kind of. It happens so gradually that I don't know if people notice. Right. I think what's funny is you know my my drummers now are both. I have two drummers I work with regularly, and they're both in their mid to early twenties. Uh huh. And so just what they've experienced, what they've yeah. never heard of, like you know, yeah, yeah. they're learning out about Elton John. 
Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's just strange. They're even learning about 80s things even. So so they could be learning about, uh, you know, REM and The Cure or yes. something like that. Yes. They're born in the 90s. Yeah. So you have finally crossing, you're finally crossing over mm-hmm. to your childhood and, and, and yeah. teenage years with, 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 the, with the music that you do now, some. Some of it. Well, yeah. Because you, the, well, you can't get away from look, the 80s. I'm a businessman. I so understand. I'm, I'm doing the 80s. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. Would, I, what I would want to do is another Bing Crosby tribute. That's what I love and would love to sing. Yeah. But... Um, Nobody knows who the, he is anymore. Well, the shows, yeah. well yeah, and I, I'm kicking myself because last time I did the show, I was like, why didn't you put out posters and handbills in the cemetery? <laughs> <laughs> So since that show is not going to be lucrative, and you know we did some Burt Bacharach things, great music, but just yeah. it's not lucrative. So you do an '80s show, and everyone's like, ah! yeah. so. Uh, but so then I decided to take that angle. So I take the angle of uh-huh. I'm reluctantly doing this, you know, show. Uh-huh. Here's another crappy song, and I just <laughs> rip it apart and tear it. Basic premise is that you like the '80s because it reminds you of when you were skinny, you had hair, yeah. you, uh, you know, <laughs> your ass was not sagging, and they just they get so mad. Oh yeah, yeah. But it's yeah, a great yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, it's yeah, a great yeah. environment for a show. Uh, the first part of the show is kind of just yeah a roast of the era. Um, it's kind of like. Um, you know, I wouldn't make fun of vegans if they didn't get mad. I wouldn't make fun of cyclists if they didn't get so freaking pissed off, right? So, the same, people are so protective about the 80s. Yeah, it's oh, funny. totally. You can talk about totally. anything and then yeah. you start talking shit about the 80s yeah. and they're like, yeah. hey, wait a second. <laughs> and, um, hey, 80s, two words Ronald Reagan. <laughs> Okay. The me generation. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because you know that was called, they was called the me generation, right? Yeah. That, but look, in the two thousands, every product you buy had a I or a me or a my on it. The iPod, yes. the right. iPhone, yes. MySpace. <laughs> yeah. Who's the me generation? Really, honestly. Ah, <laughs> oh, jeez. So, so how's the? Do we? Do you still call it a club? Do, shall we call it a club? I just call it like a, a dinner show showroom now because yeah, I call it a showroom. Showroom, okay. Because you have car, because you sell cars in there, right? <laughs> Indeed, we have furniture <laughs> and, and it's a glorious showroom. Um, I switched to just doing my own shows in a dinner show format, and then doing a lot of private and corporate uh, yeah. events, anniversary parties, and mm-hmm. things like that. That mm-hmm. are kind of like we sell it as a package price, and we're not speculating as much. Yeah. Like yeah. in a club, you just open the doors every day and go, "Please, somebody come." Yeah. You know. <laughs> and what I what I found happened at the other club is, you know, I'd make money two days a week and lose money three days a week. But if I wasn't open five days a week, you couldn't even make money the two days you did because you had yeah. to create a scene and a right, vibe, and right, you have to have yeah, employees. Yeah. Yeah. Now we work with a caterer who has other events in his own business. I have my business, and we, you know, we meld it together. So, how do you choose what the show is then? It, believe it or not, it can be as random as somebody has sends me an email. Since when's you know my grandparents are coming to town, and we want to bring them into the Neil Diamond show? When's your next one? And I'll say, when is that? And she'll say, like you know, the weekend of May fourth. And I go, okay, we'll do a Neil Diamond show then. Right? Because I only have to sell 120 tickets to yeah. any event, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. if I can sell eight out of the gate, you and, know. And Neil is still gold, isn't he? The Neil is. What's funny is somebody asked me last night, goes like, what's your favorite show? And it's like, 
you know, we did Sinatra a couple weeks ago, and the feel of that horn band behind you is magic. Yeah. Um, I love the 70s show because I just, those songs, just they're so in my blood. Okay, now hold on. Hold on for a second. Yeah. When you say 70s, because I found 25 years ago mm-hmm. when I was a wedding DJ. Oh, what they meant was disco when they'd ask for 70s. Yes. Yeah, we do no disco. Okay. I do 70s AM gold, we call it. So it was all uh-huh. pri- primarily singer-songwriter stuff and bands that were on the AM dial. So, you know, you got your Jim Croce, Gordon Lightfoot, Paul Simon, that kind of thing. And your uh-huh. bands, it's a ton of one-hit wonders. King Harvest. Oh. Uh, Dancing in the Moonlight. Yeah, yeah. Randy, yeah. you're a fine girl. Oh, um, you know, I had to go see so many. When I, when I first started out in television, um, I, they thought all hippies and black people knew about music. So they hired me as a, as a, as a, as a, as a, as a pop could music critic. You pass as white, by the way. I'm well, just saying, thank you. if you wanted. But um, uh, they, uh, they hired me because I, I was hippie and I was semi-famous. And, and, but they would, at, the, at the beginning, they would send me out to Holiday Inns. And I would have to, have to sit there and see, like, five guys in matching velour suits sing Brandy, You're a Fine Girl. Yes. And, and like, be a critic. I'm, what? <laughs> you know, so um, that whenever I hear the name of that tune, all I can see is five guys in, 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 in maroon velour suits. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I love it, though. I love that genre. Well, it just reminds me. It's okay. kind of about making fun of people in the 80s, but it's the same thing. It just reminds me of an yeah. era. I don't... I, I, uh, let me see. Uh, I, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't think about it artistically, seriously. But I, you can't beat it. <laughs> well, I mean, music is an emotional thing. So yeah. it just it creates an emotional. Right. Um, well, let me finish one thought, and I'll go back to that. Okay. So the finish the thought is, there's nothing like a Neil Diamond audience. Mm. So of all the shows mm. I do, there's more energy, more just like excitement I don't yeah. know what it is but it's the Neil Diamond audiences I'll never get sick of that show as long as the audience the gives women that much it's the women oh, I, it's the, the women it's, 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 it's really insane but anyway the thing about the 70s music and the 80s is kind of the borderline of it where the 80s starts to fracture meaning uh-huh. you have more than just in the 70s you had three TV networks still yeah I don't count PBS no <laughs> Because then it was, you know, Benny Hill and Faulty Towers. I was on PBS then, okay. <laughs> and on the radio, you know, you had, you know, at least in the town I live, maybe two or three FM choices. Yeah. And, and so you had a generation of people who, you know, people will say, you know, do you like Hall & Oates? I'm like, eh, not really. Uh-huh. Can I sing 12 Hall & Oates songs all the way through? <laughs> Can I sing... Huey Lewis all the way through <laughs> because I was exposed to it yeah. against my, whether I liked it or not. Yeah. It was just a finite amount of pop culture available to digest. Yeah. And so then in the 80s, it starts to fracture a little bit because you just you start to get cable. You start to get yeah. more and more outlets. And, I, you know, when I would go to a record store in Bozeman, Montana, and I'd look up at The Cure, they had their latest album. Uh-huh. I didn't know that they had like eight albums prior to <laughs> Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me. But so people growing up more and more, they have this wide variety of things, right? And yeah. so if I grew up in a time when all I had was choice, I wouldn't choose Hall and Oates to listen to uh-huh. and, and, and all that. But the negative of this is that 
I don't know that they're going to have unifying pop culture moments like like we do. So when we do a 70s show uh-huh. and I start in on a song you haven't heard maybe in 20 years I start going baby baby falling in love falling <laughs> in love again and you go man I haven't even thought about that song yeah but I just know it because mm-hmm. I was exposed to it yeah. over and over and over so yeah. Yeah. there's something kind of neat about that and I'm working on a show right now that sort of taps into that and it's all TV theme songs oh yeah and you don't even think about it but they're in your blood and you know every friggin word whether yes. you want to or not it's just like get out of my head it won't do you know who performs those tunes on every one of his podcasts no who Gilbert Gottfried. Oh. <laughs> it's true. You had me until you said performs them. Yes. <laughs> he knows all the words, and he even knows some of the notes. Oh, boy. <laughs> so, like, for instance, what shows? Oh, what shows? Yeah. I um, mean, and from what era? Mostly 70s. Uh-huh. Uh, so... Some things that I already do that I love is Wonder Woman. All the world is waiting for you. That's got some of the best lyrics. It goes, <laughs> in your satin tights, fighting for our rights. <laughs> um, Who wrote that? I don't even know. There's the theme from The Love Boat. There's the theme from Bewitch. There's oh, Love Boat. Star Trek. I still watch Love Boat. Boat's just hilarious. Love boats on those uh, on those, those, those oldies channels. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, how can you not watch Love Boat? How can you not? Be, That's where I first learned about Scatman Crothers. How could you not be glued to and Love Charles. Boat? Yeah, Charles. Scatman Crothers uh, used to be in Slim Gaylord's band. <laughs> Slim Gaylord lived here. Slim is uh, the uh, um, cement mixer, putty putty, mm-hmm. a Rudy Ovadi. Scatman Crothers was in his band. Well, he was a contemporary of. Cab Calloway. Oh, yeah. It's oh, yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, 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 like, yeah, those yeah. guys performing together um, back at the Cotton Club. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? I mean, you, you know. You do a good Jack Jones, Doing you? medleys. You bet of, you, I bet you do a great Jack I Jones. do the Jack Jones. I bet you can. I'd feel much better yeah. if these podcast people bought a ticket to hear it, though. <laughs> 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 We're not running a charity. You know, um, There'll be lots of links. There'll be lots of links on this page here. Oh, thank you. I'll send you the link. They'll send you right to it. There are so many, um, or or I should say, there are not very many for-profit artistic endeavors that are going on that that aren't underwritten or subsidized in some ways. So what I mean is if you get the Portland Opera or you get any of those, they are all have vast array of donors and grants and such and so on. So we are an artistic venue that is... We sell tickets, you buy them, that's how we make money, you know? And, and so it's like a broken model. It, yeah. just, it, yeah. it only works because of my unique set of skills that I can do for people's jobs. Yeah. And it's why Jimmy Mack thrived, because Jimmy <laughs> Mack could do for people's jobs. And um, What for? You're an which, accountant. Which for? <laughs> uh-huh. uh, you are a general manager that uh-huh. you know, decides the course of the venue and manages all of those below you. You have to know how to market, uh-huh. uh, do a marketing job. You have to be, nowadays, you have to now be an expert on um, all the different levels of uh, uh, employer mandates that are put on you regarding sick leave, regarding health care, regarding uh, on and on and on and on and on. I mean, you have to 
it's I I wouldn't own a club again. Oh, I wouldn't. Yeah. Uh, the way I mean, I reduced yeah. down, and I don't want to bog this. Want this to be fun. I'm thinking of writing a serious article about why um, there won't be any more clubs because it's a mathematical <laughs> impossibility. You'd have to have yeah. somebody who could just afford to lose a bunch of money. How did Jimmy do it? Jimmy did it because he did it, and I don't want to speak out of turn, but I, I will say he did it where he was able to learn on the job over a 20-year arc uh-huh. to get to the point where you could make micro changes to keep this thing afloat. Yeah. Now, I'm, only, I'm saying this because you know someone's going to, people are going to come in and try to pick up where that is. Yeah. I'm just saying yeah. it's going to be hard for one person to be able to do all those things. They're going to need a team. Yeah. Because yeah. just all the different layers that you've had over the last 20 years to learn how to operate that have been when you've already had some other things under your belt. Uh-huh. Okay. And uh-huh. so to jump in now. We can talk about this right now because we had 20 minutes of jokes. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> and um, it's... I'll just give you a perfect example, and it's just—it's—it's it's a minor example of of just something. It doesn't seem like much, but then you start to add them together. So I went. Amanda Fritz was talking about how the city was going to go to paid sick leave for employees that logged a certain amount of hours, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. Now, as a small business owner, I don't get—I get the money that's left over after I pay everybody, right? And so I have to set aside money for myself if I get sick and there's no one that can replace me. Right. But now I have to set aside money for all my employees when they get sick. You understand uh-huh. the obligation yeah. that's on me now? So then I, I would say, well, I know how sick leave works. If you get it, you use it, right? Right, right. So right. You, I'm now owed seven days a year that I need to use or, or they go away. So, um, so I know that they're going to use them. And, and I said, well, you know, what about if, if that comes up and, and, and she says at the meeting that, well, if you think somebody's committing fraud or something like that, yeah. then, then you can um, contest that. And I said, okay, so I <laughs> have no spare time as it is running my small business, but what yeah. I'm going to do now is I'm going to file a complaint with the state that I think somebody's cheating on me. That employee's then going to get a representation by the state, and right. I'm going to have to hire a lawyer at three, $400 an hour to litigate this case. It's, it's never going to happen. Yeah. So what I'm just saying is, is I open a restaurant. I have like, this is what my costs are. This is what I need to do to make a profit. Mm-hmm. Now, next year, you say, well, we're going to add this to your costs. And then next year, we're going to add this to your costs. Yeah. And next year, we're going to add this. And then you put that with the standard uh, cost of living. You get to where mathematically, you can't sell enough in a, in a venue that seats 50 to 100 people. You can't turn over the room for music. You can turn over the room for other kinds of things. Uh-huh. You go to, you go to a, a hot restaurant, you might be the fourth or fifth person to sit in that seat at Laurelwood Market tonight. Yeah. But at a music show... I got to get all my revenue out of you. So I need you to spend the revenue of four or five people. Well, guess what? Music people spend even less yes. than restaurant people. Right. So it's just, it's the math. The math just doesn't work. Yeah. Um, I wish I had broader ideas, but the other business people I've talked to about it, they're just too busy working to... Well, if it's to, that hard, why did Jimmy want to build a new club? Well, I can't speak for Jimmy. I mean, Jimmy dialed in what he did and got it um, 
down to where he had his systems in place. I'm, I'm saying that I wouldn't start a new club yeah. right now, and especially with like the 12 or $15 looming, because in the state of Oregon, they give that to tipped employees. So my tipped employees at my place averaged 25 to $35 an hour. Why do they get... Why are they getting a 2 or $3 raise? Do you understand what I'm saying? Uh-huh. If, if tipped employees in this state made less, you'd have more money to give to the next tier of employees. Um, if, if, if you're going to give a server who's now making $10 an hour, $12 an hour, the cook who's making $13 an hour, they want $15 an hour now, right? right? Because yeah. why should they only get one? It's just, it's math. It just, yeah. I get... I don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> no, because you're happy not to do it anymore. Well, I'm happy not to do it, but I think it's very, it's frustrating. I'm, I'm, I'm doing a Rotary event tomorrow where they have asked me to speak, and I said, I'm going to introduce this topic if people want to talk more about it. But I'm saying, I can tell you with math if I sit and do the calculations and just show you where it was when I started my business 10 years ago and mm-hmm. where it is now. Yeah. And, and so everything that this city, county, state, has done with regard to small business and mm-hmm. just you know the, the, the market influences too has made it mathematically impossible to do what I did yeah and so do you value this in your community do you value a place where musicians can get stage time because basically I went from a place where I did my show but four nights a week other people did their show yeah so I still can afford to do my show and I can still afford to pay my band but there's four bands that are not being paid a week and if you think about it uh, one or two of those nights were always reserved for amateur people starting out, or yeah. and and so where are they getting stage time, you know? And I wouldn't be in this business if I couldn't suck hard in public for a very long time yeah. to, to learn how to do my stagecraft. I mean, yeah, back in yeah. the '90s in Portland, I could play four nights a week for months on end. I could play Jimmy Max, the Gypsy, uh-huh. McCall's on the waterfront, and yeah. the Horse Brass uh-huh. in the in the of a week and then uh, Monte Carlo mm. Andronico's do you remember that? No I that wasn't was here for that. was the 21st and uh, Lovejoy. That was before I moved here. It was just there's you could if you had a PA <laughs> yeah you could go in and charge five bucks at the door and you could uh-huh. just play almost anywhere. Yeah. You know and, yeah. and you'd make uh, a fair amount of money but there was just enough somehow the mathematics of that worked uh, now it just doesn't work, and I, you know, I started my business ten years ago. I'd love to see what it was twenty years ago, mm-hmm. um, as, as far as as far as the costs, and you know, I want to develop the ideas more um, towards solutions. I mean, I can tell you yeah. what, all, what I see as problems, yeah. uh, and I'll tell you another one that really hurt <clears throat> me. So two weeks before, or two months before I left my old place, the fire marshal walks in. Oh boy. And I got hit with $3,500 worth of improvements I needed to make immediately or be shut down. Now, none of these improvements needed to be there the seven years prior. Right. For seven years, I was supposedly safe. Now it's a yeah. do these now or shut down. I <laughs> couldn't afford that. So, um, And then as you see, you probably know all about the whole uh, sprinklers. That uh, da, 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 da. Let's not get into that. It's a long conversation. Okay. But the point is... Um, $3,000 is a big deal to me. Yeah. Okay? It yeah. might not be a big deal to uh, uh, Starbucks or, or, or somebody like $3,000 yeah. yeah. is oh, a yeah. huge deal for me to try yeah. to make up. Yeah. And now the place was apparently... I could understand if 
But there's been this rash of club fires. Yes. Or even one club right. fire. <laughs> but it's in response to nothing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and uh, so you know that um, there are venues that have had rent increases and that's called a greedy landlord, except that greedy landlord has been asked to bring the building up to a fire code compliance that uh -huh. costs hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh -huh. And so they pass that along to the tenant and then that club's gone. Right. You know, so again, should we have safe venues? Yes. But where's the unsafe venue? Like what has happened that yeah. we're a reaction to? Yeah. You know, yeah. and you can have these things. You just can't have everything. <coughs> everything has a cost. So you can have a perfectly safe venue, but you could also have, like we have now, almost no music clubs. Yeah. But the ones we have are safe. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, this would be in the Jerry Springer show where they they, they, they ring the the, uh, the boxing bell. Ding, 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 ding. Yes. How did you get from being who you were before to being Tony Starlight? I was working at um, Virginia Cafe. I had moved up here from... Eugene, uh -huh. where my uh, career as a singer-songwriter had gone into the toilet. Really? Uh, what kind of stuff were you doing? I was singing... I wasn't very good. Uh, <laughs> I, I look back at it and it's like, this is really poorly written. Oh. So I deserve to not make it. But it was, it was coming out <laughs> of the listening to a lot of R.E.M. and uh -huh. The Cure and The Smiths mm -hmm. uh, kind of thing. And then so Nirvana hits. And just kind of crushes that style of music yeah. as, as being viable. Yeah. And I did not resonate with that. And so I didn't know what I wanted to do musically. I'd started listening to standards and things like that. One day I went to the library all jacked up. And I checked out 25 albums just <laughs> in all genres. Uh -huh. The three things that stuck with me for my life from there was Fats Waller, <laughs> uh, Nat King Cole Trio, and Louis Armstrong. Like Those th uh -huh. three things kind of got me interested in the standards. Um, then I'm working at Virginia Cafe. Ralph Huntley. Oh, yeah. Was waiter. Wow. Jerry Fector, who owns Lompoc, by the way, was also a waiter there <laughs> on the lunch Ralph Huntley shift. from, the, from uh, Three Leg Torso. Uh, I mean, no, no. Uh, Klesmocracy. Klesmocracy, yes. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then was uh, Livewire music director for yeah, years. Yeah. Um, he had a jazz trio. You know, I did a story on Klesmocracy, and they wanted, to, they, they wanted me to, uh, to shoot in one, you know, each member of the band wanted me to shoot their interview in a specific place. Ralph wanted me to shoot uh, the interview at a cemetery because that's where he and his girlfriend liked to go. <laughs> he didn't say what they did there, but that was... They were putting up flyers for was, my Bing Crosby yeah, it was concert. It was implied. <laughs> All right, so go on. Yeah, I always <laughs> used to say that uh, Ralph runs that band more like a klesitatorship, let's not go there. Um and so he had a um, trio that they played. Uh -huh. They were called Moral Dwarf. I don't know why, <laughs> but they were called Moral Dwarf. And so they uh, were playing at Mark's Hawthorne Pub. They had a regular Mark's Hawthorne Pub uh -huh. gig where they were the trio set up in the corner, just jazz trio. And uh, the drummer, who also worked at Virginia Cafe, would always hear me singing around you know, and making jokes and things. You say, yeah. what we ought to do is you ought to come sing with us. We'll get you like the Bill Murray thing, the Bill Tuxedo, uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh, the Roughly Tux. Yeah. And um, we'll call you Tony Starlight. Wow. And and you could just, you know, do some, some shtick. And so we worked up a five-song set. Uh-huh. 
And it started with uh, "Born Free," and it was all done <laughs> Bill, exactly like Bill Murray yeah. in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. And the response was great; people really liked it. Yeah. And so I said, well, "Let's do more of this." And then I started writing things for it, and mm-hmm. then changing it. But it just started from there, and then just kind of the same thing I do today is I put something in front of an audience, and I gauge their reaction, and I go more of this, less of that. Yeah. And I just yeah. keep trying to find this cocktail of things that because I'm an entertainer and so what's going to entertain this audience you know and it was a really real, just a blessing that that came about that opportunity and um, so I feel pretty well, part lucky. of what you do is is stand up though really well, yeah so I I like doing it was funny because I when I you know so I worked here and Portland from 93 to 99. I went down to LA and I yeah. wanted to do stand-up, but then now I'm Brett Kuchera. Like, who's Tony Starlight yeah. without a band, right? Right, yeah, yeah. And I didn't know, I couldn't find my voice because uh-huh. jokes that made sense from this lounge singer yeah, yeah, yeah. made no sense from me. Um, <laughs> so I just totally got lost. I didn't know what to do. Wow, so everything I do somehow works as this character like Tony Starlight. I've, yeah. I've, um, <clears throat> and, you know, I've put more and more comedy into the show uh, I'm, I'm doing more and more things where sometimes I'll just have a comedic slideshow that I'm narrating in yeah. the show now where I just <laughs> uh, producing your own show is really nice in, in some respects in the respects is you have complete artistic control right. uh, the other respect is now I have to figure out how to get paid to do it <laughs> um, and so I had never had luck being cast Right, so uh-huh. when I would do comedy things or audition for commercial, I just I would not get cast. And it's really great to say, you know, we really loved you, but maybe you were our second choice. I mean, it doesn't you know mean anything yeah. if you're not cast. Yeah. So for whatever reason, I just never got cast. So I decided when I opened the old place, the supper club and lounge, I'm just going to cast myself. Yeah in the role that I want to play. There you go. And I said, I, I know how to run a bar restaurant because you know, my day job stayed with uh, um, Virginia Cafe, but their, their company, Go Forth and Rice, I, I managed O'Brien's in Northwest uh-huh. for uh, three, four years. I was kitchen manager, then general manager. I knew every aspect of how to run a restaurant, so I knew when I came out how to run a restaurant and how to be an entertainer. And I uh-huh. just thought of it as my day job is running the restaurant, my night job's doing doing uh-huh. this show uh-huh. and so a unique set of skills that could make it work but mathematically if you sit and pencil yeah. out yeah. Uh, yeah. what it would yeah. take to operate that place uh-huh. um, it, there's not enough money to go around yeah. you know yeah. uh, and it you know I played below market rent on that cursed corner that nobody wanted and yeah. um, I was <laughs> able to make it work for those for those reasons and that I had um a broad skill set and a and a strong work ethic, and yeah. that's what it took. Yeah, you yeah. know. But it was it was heading towards an early heart attack. Yeah, you know. And it was really hard for me because yeah. I felt a little bit like I was taking the ball and going home. You uh-huh. know, uh-huh. for a lot of those acts who, you know, basically I'm saying, you know, your once a month show is now, go- or your, in some cases, your weekly gig is now gone. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and yeah. that was kind of hard, but um, ultimately, it had to happen, or I wouldn't even have what I have now. And what I have now, I love. Yeah. I'm just so happy. So. Oh, that's great. 
I'm very, very happy. We're kind of figuring out our our, our deal there, and uh, it, it's going quite well. So what do you got coming up? Let's see. When is this air? I don't know. In March? Okay. Well, March 4th, I've got a um, Frank Sinatra tribute uh-huh. show. Uh-huh. Uh, then I have the regular Neil Diamond tribute uh, around the 18th of March. 25th of March, we're taking the AM Gold 70s band, but the whole first set is a celebration of Elton John, lyrics <laughs> by Bernie Taupin, because Elton John, that'll be his 70th birthday that night. Wow. Can you believe that? And so uh, the whole first set How can anybody be that old? Elton John, isn't that crazy? <laughs> and what's crazy is he has more hair now than he had in 1969. Well, he can afford Him it. Tony Bennett both. Yeah, he can afford it. They can afford it. I know where that hair came from. Yeah. It's gross. Um, <laughs> and... Um, what else could I say? And then uh, in April, I got my 80s show on the 14th. Uh-huh. I'm working on this TV show. I was hoping to be able to have it by um, early April. It may have to go till May. But, I mean, it's TV theme songs. Now, the funny thing is they're all a minute long, right? Right. So I had to come up with 40 <laughs> songs for a set, right? It cost me a lot of money to have the arrangements written for yeah. the band. It's going to yeah. be with a seven or eight-piece well, eight band and background. Does Bo write your arrangements? Yeah, in this case, yeah. Bo, I'll be contracting him uh-huh. for that. And, um, but it's like, it's, it's folk music for an era. It's a sing-along. Like, you'll sure. know all the words. You'll yeah. have the memories. Right. And so we sort of, uh, one, one of my favorite lines I like to say is, you know, Tony, you're always wallowing in the past, right? And as yes. if you think, like, there's nothing good in the future, right? I mean, is the future uh-huh. dried up? And it's like, no, yeah. au contraire. It's like, I know there are great things happening in the future. Like, just two weeks from now, I know that in the future, I'll be reliving the past again. <laughs> and I'm excited about it. <laughs> um, do you oh, have- well, then do I have time to talk about in April, the Jimmy Mack Memorial Concert? Of course. So April 23rd, venue to be announced shortly. Um it's a it's a tribute to the venue and somewhat the man, mm-hmm. uh, Jimmy Mack. Uh, of course, we have Mel Brown, Thursday yeah. night and Tuesday night band, and mm-hmm. we have the Yachtsman on board, a bunch of special guests. The exciting thing about it is um, it looks like we're going to be able to use the event to raise money to have a Portland State University official Jimmy Mack Memorial Jazz Scholarship that oh. will go in per- perpetuity, uh-huh. and every year, um, the, I believe that uh, the department there will be endowed to uh, give a music scholarship in Jimmy's name going forward, and so we're pretty excited about that. Um, the legacy of it isn't just another club that closed Jimmy Max. Jimmy Max no. uh, is. No is a cultural phenomenon yeah and yeah. we hope to get that across we have uh plans on how to present that and its importance uh-huh. to the community uh-huh. um during this event it's going to be an exciting event i'm very honored to uh have been brought in to uh produce it with jd and lisa uh-huh. and john mcisaac nice. together on this and with working with the macaroonis family uh-huh. on it uh-huh. yeah. well if you need a media sponsor you got one right here Love it. Oregon, Oregon Music, Music News. News. We can count on you. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I'll have John reach out to you. He's, he's going to be our media Great. guru on this. Well, when, you know, when, when Jimmy died, uh, I went back in our archives and I, I uh, 
put up a piece that we had run. Actually, we, we tried one of these with you too, but it was the only Tony Starlight article that had no jokes in it. But that was because <laughs> of, of the that was because of the writer. Ah. But um, uh, we did we had this series called Day in the Nightlife, mm-hmm. and I did the first one the way it was supposed to be done. Oh yeah, I Remember just that? reread it. You reposted that, and I reread it. I read yeah. it both times. It's yeah. wonderful. Yeah, it was nice. It was great. Well, you know? and that's how hard that man worked. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. the guy. He was an inspiration to me and a mentor to me. Uh, I posted about it, but I don't know if people knew. It's like, so he booked my band in the 90s yeah. and helped me get a, a yeah. career going. That was your home. And I, I, I hosted bingo for years in the basement, right. in Lisa's basement bar yeah, down there. Yeah. And so we had a great relationship. But then when I wanted to open my own club, Jimmy met with me. I drove up from L.A. I met with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple times he was one of my key mentors and then just whenever I had questions he would answer the phone be sharing of any information to help yeah. make this work and you know some people would think about it as competition but he always thought you know if we can have a vibrant music community it benefits everyone yeah and so that was he was always willing to help and and we had some really great conversations and he taught me some just he taught me a lot of lessons that would, had I not heard them, I might not have lasted the first couple years. Wow. Um, one of the things was just that we're talking about, uh, about you know, well enough is going to be good enough in, mm-hmm. in some of this situation when mm-hmm. you're running a, a, a venue. It's like you, you can't, there's going to be just mistakes and things. You just If you can always have this triage of what is important, the most important, what second, third, fourth, Mm-hmm. You can keep things going, and I just would. I always watch a lot of venues that I don't like to say by name, but I would go into the venue and I would watch the way they operate, and I knew their days were numbered. Yeah, because I knew that they weren't. There's just it's it's such a thin margin. Mm-hmm. If you lose five ten percent, you're gonna you're just gonna go out of business, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Jimmy always understood that, and one thing he always pounded into me and those who were around him is like doing what you did last year will never be good enough you have to improve every year you have to do better every year to stay in the same spot right right Right. and so um that's what i'm going through now it's like i things are like how's it going i'm going it's going great now but that doesn't mean it's going to be going great in two years so i have to think two three four five years ahead Uh it's like how am i going to keep revenue coming and for me it's like it's interesting because Portland has so many young people uh, coming to the city and old people going out well the old people going out are the dinner show people yeah the young people coming in are not so I'm working on setting up um, regional tours and second bases of operations Uh and places where I have so that's why I was in Florida because Florida has a bunch of people that are on vacation who oh, are over 50 yeah. who like to be entertained. Now, I don't want to live in Florida, yeah, um, but I would love to have a residency for three weeks at a time in different parts of Florida or two weeks at a time. So uh, trying be, to set up being a snowbird is not a bad thing. And it's not bad to be able to get out of here <laughs> yeah. and yeah. Uh, then stay with my lovely summer here. But, I mean, that's a practical way... Because what, am I going to start doing 90s jokes? Am I going to do Bruno Mars in 20? That's never going to happen. Yeah. So <laughs> rather than 
change who I am. I'll just yeah. take what I already know that works and just yeah. find some new markets for it. So right. I'm, uh, that was part of my Florida trip is exploring that. I'm a huge bird nerd too. And Florida has more birds than any other state. So really? maybe Texas. And the other options for me are Arizona, Ugh, too yeah. hot. Yes. And um, yes. Palm Springs, California, too expensive. Yeah. You already have to be rich when you move to Palm Springs. You can't go there and think you're going to make money. You have to already have money to go to Palm Springs. Birds, huh? Yeah, so... Uh, Boyds! Boyds! So <laughs> Boyds! I'm the concierge! Sorry, that's the producers. <laughs> Good stuff. <laughs> what kind of birds do you like? You know, I was thinking about that, and what I what I say now is the next bird, <laughs> because it's exciting the discovery. And so I got into birding when I'm walking around this. So we moved out to Scapoose on a floating home. Uh-huh. I look at Sylvie Island, and we're on this big amount of property that surrounds the moorage where, yeah. where the homes are. And so I walk the dogs, and there's just birds everywhere. And I thought, uh-huh. well, I'm gonna bring along the binoculars. There you go. Because you know, I'm I'm literally on shit detail. <laughs> when I'm walking with the dogs. Yes. Right? You know, I'm just yes. picking up crap and right. standing there while they smell everything, and it's yes. kind of boring. Right. But it's not boring when I'm watching all the drama that's going on. Like, birds, they're not nice to one another. Get off my roost. <laughs> um, you look like you'd be nice to eat, you know. Uh, so they live this brutal life, and it, it, it's, it's crazy watching the drama of this little bird life. And um, it's a great way for me to pass my time. And then I found, you know, online on my website, I've been starting to post my conversations I have with them. And I realized it's a perfect vehicle for me to take stand-up ideas or just comedy ideas that maybe I can't fit into my show. Yeah. I can put into the words of this conversation I'm having <laughs> with a bird. And uh, so it's a fun pastime, but I'm actually working on a book. And so what I want to do is develop a Northwest guide for birds based on conversations with birds. So <laughs> so the person who knows nothing about birds can actually learn something about it, but then uh-huh. the person who knows about birds who just likes humor uh-huh. can laugh about it, and then people who just want humor. So I feel, I feel like I've, I don't have just one niche market with it. I have three markets, but the exciting part about doing it regionally is then now I have to go to Florida again to finish my Florida regional one. You see what I mean? Yeah, now it's yeah. a business expense, Tom, <laughs> to go to Florida. <laughs> And then I do the birds of Hawaii. That'll take three or four trips to Hawaii to really get a good That's survey terrible. of Jeez. that. Then the birds of, Tough. I don't know, where do they? Where would they like American pop culture where they also have birds? Uh, so I can go do my show, yes. look at birds, sort of encapsulate. I've, I've had a lifetime of, 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 of going like this. What is it that I like to do? How can I find out to get, how, how, find a way to get paid to do it? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, that's... Basically, I like to entertain people, so I've found out a way to do it. If people weren't going to cast me, then I'm going to cast myself <laughs> on it. Well, this is now that's something I didn't know about the birds. About the about the, the boys. I'll send you. I'll send you a couple links to a couple funny stories that I've okay. that I've had. They are. We'll put. We'll, uh, we'll 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 link on the page All here. Right, yeah. Yeah. I love, yeah, it. I love it. All right. And uh, also, you know, birding is a bit like what which you might not realize is in the beginning, anyway, 
So I used to love to do the crossword puzzle. Uh huh. I just don't have time for that kind of exercise anymore. I would uh-huh. do it when I was like a cook. Yeah. And I'm waiting yeah. for somebody to come in. Right. To eat. Yeah. Um, now I'm busy enough in life where I can't afford to kind of just do things that aren't productive with, uh-huh. with time. So now, so I'm out on a walk and I'm like, what's that? What's that little thing? Well, now I've got a puzzle, right? <laughs> I get the binoculars out and I go, oh, short brown little bird. What's its tail doing? So if its tail's sticking straight up, uh-huh. that's probably going to be a wren. But if the tail's down, could be a sparrow. If the tail's down and it's flicking, could be a flycatcher. Well, what kind of beak does it have? Does it have, you know, a pointy beak? Does uh-huh. it have a fat beak? You know, so all these little, at first, when you when you look at a little brown bird, you go, they all just look alike, little brown birds. Now uh-huh. you start to break it down and and it gets really easy. You know, you compare it to itself. How big is the beak compared to its head? Is it as long as its head? Well, then it's only going to be a certain number of birds. So if you start with, that could be 50 different brown little birds. You ask yourself two or three questions, and now it, it could be one of like four or five birds. You see? Uh-huh. And so it's fun because every day you can just learn a little more. And then if you live out and you walk outside, it's like they're there every day. They're uh-huh. on, uh-huh. you know, so they don't take a day off. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, even in the snow, they didn't take days off. Really? It's, it, uh-huh. I got some of the best pictures out in the snow because they're trying to find food. And plus they stick out a little better in the white I guess they do. Than they yeah. did when they're hiding among all the leaves. <laughs> uh, it's, it's just a fun way to relax too because, yeah. you know, when you run your own business and, and such, you need escapes. And if your escape, which for many years was music and things it's like well that's kind of work you know and uh-huh, so it's uh-huh. funny for a long time oh, i tell me about haven't it. listened to music for fun yeah because it's yeah, just right. kind of like work and right. so finding this pastime has really been wonderful f- that's great for me yeah and, and it yeah. gets you out in nature yeah, walking yeah, relaxing yeah yeah i don't listen to music anymore except when i'm on the radio uh-huh. which is really i love and when i'm djing yeah you know well, it's crazy because you think about the hours logged listening oh, yeah. to music. I mean, yeah, yeah. I I think about you know just wearing out cassette tapes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because they've been right. listened to so many times. Right, and uh, I think there's different times in life too. Because yeah. when I was young, I couldn't imagine taking a road trip and not having music playing. Right, and now I can easily do it. I yeah. can easily yeah. Yeah. have no sound. Yeah. my thoughts in the yeah. car and yeah. I don't know if that's me changing or the human yeah is that the human condition to change a little bit I don't know I mean I just I, I, I kind of got burned out mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't kind of get burned out I did get burned out yeah. I am burned out but not when I'm playing on the radio and not when I'm DJing well for me it's like I was talking about it a little bit earlier so Sweet don't you Caroline? find that when you're performing, when you're that? fine? Well, don't you find that when you're performing? Oh, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Here. So like, yeah. Sweet Caroline. Oh, God. I got to sing Sweet Caroline again. Yeah. But the truth is, I'll start that song, which I'm uh-huh. sick of, yeah. tired of. Never really liked a lot in the first place. Right. But the audience. Yeah. They perk up and right. they stick their hands up and they're right. clapping and right. singing. So now, you know, they're they're lifting me up. Yeah. So then now I'm going to lift them back up. It's like yeah. a, it's like a yeah. dance that we do together. And, and so... And these days, um, you know, when, when, when I wake up to the daily horror of what's happened to this country, <laughs> um, 
I, you know, I've really kind of rededicated my, especially the radio, because mm-hmm. the, the the DJ in the club is a different thing. Because I'm doing Quiet Storm love song kind of thing, but on the radio, I, I've 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 rededicated myself to to um, comfort and inspiration mm-hmm. and expression of some rage. Yeah. You know, because, because, and not anything I say. It's all through the music. Mm-hmm. You know. Music's amazing. Yeah. Uh, in, I was, you know, you'll hear a song and you'll picture or smell something that was associated with that when oh, you sure. first heard it. Sure. Isn't that sure. fascinating mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. how it can do that? And so um, I play these songs a lot, so you kind of get, Mm-hmm. And we're kind of touching on the same theme, though. But it's it's always as fresh as the audience, right? Yeah. So if you right. give me a new audience and right. that audience is reacting yeah. to it, yeah. Yeah. then everything's just fresh and alive again. Right. But that taps into kind of a bigger thing of why I didn't really do well in L.A. And mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not one of those who have bad things to say about L.A. because L.A. is the way it is because it has to be that way. You're at the highest level mm-hmm. of film and television. Mm-hmm. It's got to be cutthroat. There are a limited number of spaces. Yes. And if you want right. one, you have to fight for it. Yeah. Okay. Now, a community, like, I didn't thrive in that kind of community. I thrive in this community, and, and it's another, like, why am I not in Las Vegas? Like, if I had a different audience that I never saw again. Yeah every night right like that's just no life and right. so i see people who i've seen their children grow up uh-huh. i've seen them come uh-huh. i've uh-huh. bring their grandparents i've played their weddings i've played their right. company parties yes. i've played their <laughs> company picnic yeah and we yeah. have this ongoing developing relationship and so the best part about me doing music here for me with both the venue and and how i do it with so many fundraising events emceeing and so forth is i'm just a part, of, you know, I'll see Nick Fish around town mm-hmm. everywhere. I wouldn't, if mm-hmm. I wasn't doing these things, I wouldn't mm-hmm. run into him. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. so we have, uh, and and he's one of just many people that I'll see some people every year at the Oregon Music Hall of Fame and maybe never again. Right. But because I'm doing that, I see them once a year. We have yeah. great conversations. We yeah. have good times together. Yeah. So it's it's a wonderful community. I love being part of it. I love fostering it, and I honestly wish. That it was more lucrative, I should say, it was financially viable because that's a, it's like saying yeah. it's lucrative and I wish it was more. Right. It's not financially viable yeah. to have a club like I used to yeah. and I, I miss the family aspect of it. Everyone uh-huh. came to me yeah. and I, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. as long as I kept putting events on, I know I'm going to have... 50 to 80 people walk through that door and I'm going to get to talk to them and, and now... Uh-huh. I see the people at my shows, but if I want to see a lot of people, I've got to go to them. Yeah. And it's hard. Yeah. But yeah. I miss that. And yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know the solution. I do know, I do feel the lack of it. And it, so this was, this last month was the 10 year anniversary of when I opened that old club. Wow. So it brought back a lot of uh-huh. feelings. And what uh-huh. was really remarkable is how many people in this city know each other because of my club that may maybe they would have met but a lot of them I doubt it you know people that yeah. met and have and got married yeah and have had kids right and um people that forged um musical relationships uh-huh. where they have partnerships going on um I mean I think Chance and Shelley Rudolph even played at at my club 
you know, early on in their relationship. Yeah. Not like yeah, right. they might have found each other anyway. Yeah. Um, but there's just all these people that are connected, and I realize, oh, well, the only reason all these these people know these people is because they used to come to the club together. Right. And, and it's not just my club. There's all kinds of clubs that sure. do that. And sure. that's a big part of this Jimmy Mack things we're going to talk about is how many people you know, we're connected through that club, but it's important that we have these spaces. So you get this more and more virtual world. Yeah. And, you know, we're going to connect all these people via the internet. Uh Do you have any kind of relationship with somebody you met through the internet that you've, that you've sat in a room with and spent time with? I mean, I don't, I, I can't think of one that I do and I'm not saying it can't happen, but just the relationships that you forge being in space with people are something special. Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah, and uh, yeah. so I hope we don't lose that concept on this next generation that they they need to be together in rooms together and they need to work together on things, be accountable for things. You know, you were supposed to bring this to this. You know, bring this along with you. You, you, know, well, you have a responsibility in our interaction. I think the current horror is is <laughs> fostering well, fostering people that. together. It is. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> it is. Yeah, but it, it it and well, it's 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 bringing people together to be divided though, and I don't want to get on too much of a thing. And yeah. one thing we don't do is politics at my club, but I can tell you, I have a room full of people on both sides of the aisle all the time, right? And I love that we're all together. That's good. And we're not talking about that, but I, yeah. I really get nervous when I see a lot of people who are drawing lines in the sand and saying, "Choose a side. You're all for and all against," mm. because. Um, you know, I can be for gay marriage mm-hmm. and also for lower tax rate. I can be for both of those things. Mm-hmm. I don't have to jump on board of one camp or the other. Well, right. And right. so, but there's a lot of sort of lines being drawn I'm not comfortable with as as being recipes for more community going on. It feels like uh, it's going to draw people more and more into the amen choir and the... so. If to get partners, you have to be able to be in the same room together talking. Mm-hmm. So you can't just be shouting at people from across the streets. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm behind things that are going to bring people together to talk, mm-hmm. rather than uh, uh, screaming at one another. That's a good role. There are, so, other, there are other roles, however. Yes. Well, and it's all part of it, yeah. and, and there's a place for each part of it. Yeah. But let's not forget how important it is to sit together in the same room mm-hmm. and um, and uh, you know it's funny it's like when i lived when I lived in small towns like Mont- Montana Bozeman, yeah. it was small at the time I live in Scapoos now uh-huh. they may never have met a transgendered person in their life it's like right. just this fictional thing right okay. But then I know people in the city who don't know how to change the oil on their car. Like right. They couldn't change a flat tire. If it, they don't know what it's like to um, be completely self-reliant because there's just no services right. out in a small area. So right. I just see this divide between people who don't understand uh-huh. the way the other one lives. And they both yeah. go, well, yeah. why don't you just do this? Or yeah. why don't you just do that? It's like, yeah. well, because you don't, you don't know. Yeah. And so the way to know is for people that come from these different areas that know nothing of the other to connect and learn about the other and you you find um well here's something so at one event 
I, I, uh, Oregon Music Hall of Fame. There was a woman who came on stage and she was uh, talking about growing up as a lesbian and feeling an outsider uh -huh. and how her music helped her to deal with that at the time and so on and so forth. And I said to myself, well, I'm a straight white male and we shared the exact same emotional path there. Yeah. So we had so much in common that you don't realize, right? Yeah, yeah, and so it isn't, yeah. you know, gay, lesbian woman over in this corner and straight white male over in this corner. We had that feeling of out, you know, like, I feel alone. I don't feel good. That Those are kind of universal feelings. Yeah, sure. You know what I mean? Sure. And so to be able to understand that about people, that's why I love what... Um, I do with music and connect with people at so many nonprofit events and so many community events like mm -hmm. that is mm -hmm. all these different people we just connect through that and we mm -hmm. realize we have so much in common. I, I mm -hmm. hope that spirit is one that goes forward. I just the the anger just like I was talking about Nirvana. I didn't understand the rage uh -huh. of Nirvana. Yeah. And I I don't want rage to be the the uh the gist of the times the zeitgeist I don't want to be rage on the other hand on the other hand uh, they want to take away my health care and I will die I have a pacemaker mm -hmm. okay I have a heart condition they want to take that away and I will die I should not be enraged yes I should be enraged <laughs> I agree yeah and um, but you know that's not the only issue for me it is well what I'm saying is is it's, it's a matter of life and death <laughs> I Literally, understand, I understand my survival. That, I'm not seeing a lot of uh, <laughs> angry posts about pacemakers being taken away. I'm just saying, is in, in well, you know, you know, in, in, well, I guess because you probably the pacemaker uh, Facebook page <laughs> crowd is hot and heavy. So, um, well, I'm not saying you're not going to fight for uh, you know yourself, the things that affect you. And the things that are, you know, that you want to fight for. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying we have, you have to work with people to get these changes made. And so what I don't want is just entrench lines. And maybe there is no way to do it. Maybe I'm just a, a crazy. No, because they're trainer. all in their bubble. But it's like, you know. They're do, in their bubble. Do, do, I'm surprised how many people just only, only. Don't challenge any of their own thoughts with outside thoughts. You know what I mean? They only yes, because they they, they, they're, they're in a bubble. Listen to things that they agree with. They're the people. Thirty-five percent of the American public think, or Republicans think that uh, Obamacare and the Affordable Care Act are two different things. <laughs> two different things. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, um, sometimes rage is a good thing. Yeah. Well, and there's, and, and I'm glad that you got your pacemaker and you're covered. And I'm also, uh, you know, and I'm one of the people who, uh, if we like we, our plan and our doctor, we can keep our plan, and that wasn't true. We lost our doctor, we lost our plan, and we had to do it all over, and we wound up paying more. I, it's a long, long, long story, but it, it's like there's, it's so much more complicated than you and I are going to solve right now in this, in this <laughs> podcast. Uh, but it's, it's important that you and I have a dialogue about it rather yeah. than I hate you, you hate me. Um, 
that's what I'm more interested in. I like your jokes. I like my jokes too. I love your jokes. Thank you. You're you're fabulous, and you always have been. Oh, you're sweet. <laughs> and you know, and I realized, you know, I realized fairly early that it wasn't a camp thing. It was, but it really wasn't with you. That's the thing is. Uh, that's I, why I don't get. Like I'm not going to name by name, but there are some campy lounge acts. Yeah, and it's like I was never doing it ironically. No, I realize that. <laughs> I understand that. I love it. Yeah, I know you do. And um, when I got good at what I did is when I started 100, not doing anything I didn't believe in, uh-huh. just 100%, yeah. and not yeah. being afraid to just do the thing. You know, I like Barry Manilow and I like Judas Priest, so we're doing both. <laughs> you know. <laughs> All right, man. Listen, thank you for coming in. I appreciate it. This is uh, this has been terrific. I do appreciate it, and let me send. Well, out we've been all over the place. Compliments your way. Thank you yes. for your involvement in this community, in the music community, keeping people together and connected, keeping it relevant when it doesn't necessarily. I mean, I see you have your Lamborghini today. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I but do, that's uh, that's what you just got from your. Uh, yeah, no, I, st- the Orioles, I, I stole. I stole that this, <laughs> this morning. I just. But, uh, people like yourself Italian, you know? to be part of this community and keep it going and connecting people. I mean, you, Terry Courier, is another one I think of that just has connected every part of this scene for mm. how long? We're in our seventh year. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, and I was... Keeping yeah. those <laughs> together and not, uh, not giving up on it when I'm sure you've had when you were going through your health stuff you were like I can't keep this going and, and such <coughs> I've given up many times <laughs> many times this morning they keep pulling me back in you know how many times I've said that <laughs> I've said that so many times uh, and it's true actually it's actually true <laughs> if I could find another somebody else to be editor in chief but aren't you kind of glad you can't in a way because I've been. I was on vacation. And I was sick. Yeah. And I'm sitting out at my house. And I just. I don't want to do anything. I didn't want to do my show last night. I right. didn't want to work yeah. on yeah. this Jimmy Max thing. It's a bunch of numbers. It's like, I don't yeah, want yeah. to work on it. And all that. Yeah. And the truth is, if I had enough money in the bank, I'd find a way to get out of a bunch of this. Yes. Do you, do you know what I mean? <laughs> I do know and what you mean. I grew. I worked when I worked in L.A. I worked for rich people. Yeah. So I worked yeah. for uh, people who. You know, I want to start a I want to start a business, and then yeah. well, the business is tough. You got to show up every day. Well, so uh, we just let it go and just you know lose a couple hundred thousand dollars on a business and then find another thing to do. Yeah. Well, I never had that option. Yes. And, and so clawing and scratching to stay alive and keep it going, mm-hmm. and um, you know like looking at at the bank account and going, I can't afford to not work on this show. Like I need to keep working. Yeah. Uh, but that obligation really is, is made for a richer life for me. And so I don't know where kind of this idea that we kind of have as a default that everybody should kind of be to this point where they can coast or something or it'd be nice. Um, I kind of feel like that's what I'm working towards mentally. Like I'm working towards this time when yeah. now I can relax. It's never happened. It will, will never happen. It will never happen. But right. I should feel blessed because... So this Jimmy Max thing that I'm putting on, right? Uh-huh. I'm going to make some connections with some people that night uh-huh. 
that are going to enrich my life right. and go on to bigger, better things. Yep. And then the month after that, when I'm doing this uh, fundraiser out at Northwest Dance Project again, I'm going to meet some more people that night that are going to enrich my life. Now, if I had enough money that I didn't have to go out and do those things, would does that make a richer life? So I guess I had to feel blessed that you, you have to work. You have to do these things. It enrich. It makes, what else would it makes you do? For a much better life. Sit in the chair with a cat. Watch or, TV. I would. I'm lazy. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I I have to force myself. Yes. Uh, and and I'm obliged. So right when I was sick the other day, I was like, I've got to get well enough by Friday to do my show <laughs> because 20 people don't get paid if I don't sing. Right. You right. know right. that's. Oh. I, I've gone in to do the radio show with pneumonia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've done that where I've done my show sick, and then people want to shake my hand after the show, and I'm trying to be like, I need to stay away from you, but I don't want to tell you I'm sick <laughs> because I don't want you to feel whatever, but it's like you, you, you conduct yourself in a way, you just keep your arms folded, yes. keep five feet away from everybody, don't touch any of the fixtures. He's so standoffish. Yeah, exactly. He caught me on a day when I had walking pneumonia and I was still doing my show. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it, it's a blessing. And I think about a lot of that with the fundraisers that I'm on. You know, I, I work with so many different nonprofits and sometimes they seem frustrated that they have to work so hard to get funding for these things they're mm -hmm. doing. But it, it's like I work with Northwest Down Syndrome Association, Fame Academy, just to name two that are that, that work with uh, adults with disabilities, right? And so I knew nothing about adults with disabilities. But since I've been working with this <laughs> yeah. company, I do know uh -huh. a lot now. And I have friends who are adults with disabilities. In fact, I'm doing go. a show with Aaron Hobson as my special guest. Uh -huh. And we're doing a show together. He's an adult with disabilities. I would not have that. Oh. My life yeah. is richer yeah. because yeah. we've had to get out and try to make money for things. Right. And so I, I sort of flip your mindset sometimes when people seem like so down that there isn't enough money for all these things. Well, then get out and make some money. And, and you're gonna, it's going to make you... Uh, live in a better community mm -hmm. and you're going to help people just get out and do those things I, that was something that really helped our business too was early on we got involved with a lot of nonprofits and held fundraisers and, and, and I MC a lot of those things and boy that really shows you the best sides of people and maybe that's what you need to do right now when you're feeling all this angst is show up at some fundraiser with all these nice lovely people report on it <laughs> it's a blessing to be around um, people that are out doing good things for people I guess that's why sometimes I see the world with rose colored glasses because I see so much of the good sides of people yeah with a lot of the events I do we've been media sponsoring a lot of the um, ACLU tributes and those things mm -hmm. things like that you know get and see people together in a, in a room and you no, feel I, the community. I generally don't go to them. but Buoy your spirit. <laughs> well, it's because they've asked you not to come. That's it. <laughs> Tom, no. please. Media sponsor, just stay home. Will you please? <laughs> <laughs> oh, to restore your faith in humanity. Well, what? see, the thing is, is you have... You must think I, have, I had something have to begin with. That you ever had it. <laughs> I would say you can have faith in individual humans, but you should never have faith in humanity. Well, you know, the thing is, um, when I was young, 
I'm from Baltimore, and of course the sage of Baltimore was H.L. Mencken. Oh. So that was my roadmap, mm-hmm. and he was not. He was not. A little sardonic. A little bit. A little <laughs> bit. And then, and then there was Gore Vidal, mm-hmm. you know, whose famous saying was, "Every time a friend succeeds, something in me dies." Yeah, what a sweet man. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was Hunter Thompson. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, so. I'm, Did I ever tell you my Hunter Thompson story? No. I don't normally talk about these things. So <laughs> I, through my job, I was at a Jack Nicholson New Year's Eve party oh, in Aspen. And yeah. his good friend yeah. is Hunter S. Thompson. <laughs> and Hunter, this was so, Hunter died like in February or uh-huh. something like that. Yeah. And this was New Year's Eve. So this is one of his last wow. things. And so, and he was walking like, he could barely move his legs. Yeah. He was really sick. Right. That's why he killed himself. He's yeah. sick. Yeah. Um, and, well, so this is just an aside. The highlight of the party yes. for me was that Adam Sandler was there who I can't, I can't stand. Yeah. And like the worst thing you can say to me, and I know people are trying to be nice, is go, you remind me of Adam Sandler. Oh, jeez. Like, oh. <laughs> Oh. I quit. But I realized they're, <laughs> yeah. they're trying to be nice. Yes. I used to get mad, and I realized yeah. they're trying to be nice to me. Anyway, I never thought you were anything so like Adam Sandler. <laughs> I watched Adam Sandler try to make Hunter S. Thompson laugh oh. from, from the oh. wings, you know, because I'm an employee, so yeah, I can yeah. only interact yeah. with people who come into the kitchen, right? Yeah. Um, and just failing. Yes. Hunter S. Thompson's in the kitchen. I had him laughing and going and going, and we were talking Tom Waits and just having uh-huh, a, a uh-huh. lovely time together. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, that's an aside from it. So it's the end of the party, and Hunter wants to go. And so his wife's going out to get the car. He doesn't want to wait. It wasn't his wife. It was his longtime yeah. companion. Yeah. He doesn't want to wait. He wants to go now. Well, someone's got to help Hunter to the car because he can't walk, and yeah. it's icy out. We're in Aspen, and it's... <laughs> So I, I have him by the arm, and we're walking uh-huh. out yeah. to the car. And he opens up this car door, and, and he sits in the passenger's seat, and I'm kind of helping him. And he's like, first thing he does is he's banging on the glove compartment to try to get it open, oh, and it won't open. And he's like, where's the light? So he's banging on the dome light <laughs> up atop. So you know, I reach up, I turn the dome light yeah, on, right? yeah. um, and then I reach over, and I open the uh, yes. You know, glove compartment from the like, sunshine voice. Cigar- where's the goddamn cigarettes? Yeah, where's yeah. the yeah, there are cigarettes around here? Where's the guy keep? Where's she? Keep? I don't know where she keeps the goddamn cigarettes. All that, <laughs> cigarettes. So we're sitting in this car, waiting for his uh, girlfriend, who remember left before us. Yes. This car comes by and honks and goes, man, it, Hunter, wrong car. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> so. Now I help Hunter into the other car, and he gets this, because I was smoking then, and it's like, I wanted to have a cigarette. He goes, oh, you want to have some cigarettes? Give me the goddamn Dunhill. So a couple packs of Dunhills, he throws at me. Yeah. And, um, and what's, what's a sad end to this story is I kept those as, as a memento. You know? yeah. I smoked yeah. one pack, and I kept a pack, so yeah. this unopened yeah. pack. We had some house sitters. Who smoked my pack of cigarettes oh, that was given to me by Hunter? Oh S. man! Yeah. <laughs> um, but that was a fun memory, and um, <laughs> and then sure enough, in February, Hunter S. Thompson, it's over. Not too many other people saw him much Jeez. after that. Wow! Um, 
he was a trip and he was like Jack Nicholson's best friend and one of the funny stories they tell <laughs> is that he Jack Nicholson sent Hunter a leather jacket for Christmas one yeah. year Hunter shot a hole in it with his shotgun <laughs> and sent it back <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, yeah, what's his, Jack always would call him the good doctor. And, uh, and it's funny, I can kind of cap it with this, because that trip in the Nicholson home over the holidays was what changed my life the biggest, because his grandkids had a puppy, and the puppy uh-huh. shat in the living room. Oh. And Jack Nicholson stepped in that shit. Well... With his $4,000 Gucci um, slipper. And to watch Jack Nicholson, first of all, he was pacing the room, smoking a joint, nervous that no one was going to come to his, his party tonight. <coughs> I, was, I asked his assistant, I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> oh, Jack's just, you know, he's nervous. He doesn't think anyone's going to come to the party. And I'm like, so... <laughs> Jack's a celebrity, two celebrities. Yeah. You know, you're the highest level of show business. Yeah. And you're still insecure. Right. So I saw that and I saw him step in dog shit all within like, <laughs> and I thought, he's another man. Yeah. I could do anything I want. All he is is somebody who just did what he wanted to do. Well, I don't want to work for rich people anymore. Right. I want to go run my own club. So it was that day that I got the, in my mind that I wanted to come back to Portland, open up a club, and do what I wanted to do. I could always go back and pick up clean shit uh, for rich people anytime I want to. I still can. Anytime I want to. They're hiring. There's always people on shit detail. Uh, but I owe, I owe Jack Nicholson a, a debt of gratitude for that. <laughs> and with that... And with that... Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you, Tom. Really I appreciate, appreciate it. it.